0: Solar winds damage, is it worse than we thought? And why 2021 is the year of significant change in the international data privacy landscape? These stories and more in this week's ISNG Security Report. to the SolarWinds attack this week as the Trump administration cites Russia as the likely culprit behind the infiltration. So what is the latest in the SolarWinds' long and twisted road and is the damage far worse than we initially thought? Matthew Schwartz, ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, reports.
1: Investigators are continuing to probe the massive supply chain attack involving SolarWinds Orion, and this week they added the U.S. Department of Justice to the list of victims. On Tuesday, meanwhile, for the very first time, the Trump administration belatedly issued an official statement saying the attack was most likely launched by Russia. For three weeks, however, multiple U.S. officials as well as investigators have already been saying the same thing. The attack campaign compromised systems at thousands of organizations for up to nine months. This week, a task force set up by the government to probe the breach called the Cyber Unified Coordination Group said that it believes that the attack was an intelligence-gathering effort likely run by a Russian advanced persistent threat actor. So the supply chain attack snuck a backdoor into Orion network monitoring software built by Texas-based SolarWinds, which up to 18,000 customers installed and were using for up to nine months before the attack was detected by FireEye, a private cybersecurity firm. For an as yet unknown number of victims, attackers used the backdoor to install additional malware which allowed them to steal data and eavesdrop on communications. Confirmed victims of these more advanced attacks include FireEye and Microsoft, among others, as well as multiple U.S. government agencies, including the Commerce, Homeland Security, State, Energy, and Treasury Departments, as well as some branches of the Pentagon. On Wednesday, the Justice Department joined that list with officials saying that they discovered on December 24th last month that there'd been unauthorized access to about 3% of the DOJ's Microsoft Office 365 email inboxes. The DOJ has about 113,000 employees, meaning that more than 3,000 DOJ email inboxes may have been popped. Thankfully, however, there's no indication that any classified information was accessed. How many organizations fell victim to second-stage attacks remains unknown. But an Amazon intelligence team assessment cited by the New York Times estimates that the tally may involve 250 organizations. Victims of either stage of the attack have a long road ahead of them. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, which with the FBI is helping to investigate the attacks, has told public and private sector victims, for example, that they may need to rebuild all network assets being monitored by the Orion software, and that this process will be a resource-intensive, highly complex, and lengthy undertaking. Experts have continued to emphasize that the SolarWinds supply chain attack has all the hallmarks of an espionage operation, and have urged the US government to respond appropriately. Of course, espionage is a fact of life. All nations do it. And despite the apparent brazenness of the SolarWinds campaign, some former U.S. officials say that American intelligence agencies wouldn't have hesitated to do the same to the likes of Russia. Determining what response to take to this attack will likely fall to President-elect Joe Biden when he takes office on January 20th. But experts have urged any response to be proportional. Retired General Keith Alexander, who previously directed the National Security Agency and U.S. Cyber Command, told the CBS Sunday morning TV show that the White House should respond, but in a manner calibrated to avoid escalation. We don't want to create a deeper cyber war in cyberspace,
2: but we need to send a message. Now, that can be done outside of cyber diplomatically, politically, economically. It can be done in cyber, It can be done overtly or covertly. Because imagine if we did attack, and then they attack back. Who has more to lose? We do.
1: For Information Security Media Group,
2: I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: In 2020, the Zero Trust conversation evolved from what is it to how do we achieve a Zero Trust architecture, says Supana Goswami, Associate Editor at ISMG Asia. She recently interviewed Chase Cunningham, a Principal Analyst serving security and risk professionals at Forrester, about the Zero Trust landscape and what we can expect in 2021. But how does Zero Trust work in a hybrid cloud environment? Here's Cunningham with some advice.
3: So I think where people get mixed up when they're dealing with hybrid cloud is they try and think of hybrid cloud as one piece of infrastructure. And uh, that, that makes sense from a networking perspective, because that's what you're doing. You're trying to make things work across platform. But from the ZT standpoint, when we talk about hybrid cloud, what we really want is we want to continue to keep those other pieces of infrastructure segmented, isolated and controlled with really good visibility. And the reason that we do that is it's okay to have some AWS, some Azure, some on-prem, some whatever, but to to really do it correctly, you wanna make sure that you have good management, maintain control and capability and see what's going on within those pieces of infrastructure. If you do that and you treat them as separate pieces of that infrastructure, you can approach the problem and enable zero trust in that manner, but you do it one at a time. In other words, you don't try and say, I'm gonna turn on zero trust across hybrid infrastructure. That's, That's too difficult. Do ZT for your cloud do ZT for your on-prem, you know, and work your way through that.
0: And finally, when it comes to privacy and data protection, much discussion in 2020 centered around the California Privacy Rights Act and Schrems two-court decision concerning data transfers, which invalidated the US-EU privacy shield. But how about the rest of the world? What are the key international regulatory and legal developments to watch over the year ahead? There are almost too many to track says Trevor Hughes, the President and CEO of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Here he is speaking with our Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, highlighting the international regulatory developments businesses should take note of in 2021.
2: Two things are happening that I think we need to pay a lot of attention to in 2021. First, India has in its parliament right now, a Data Protection Act. It is very likely, if not probable that India will pass a Data Protection Act this year. Now, you may say, well, you know, we don't do business in India. I'm not so worried about that. India has so much of the world's data processing, so much IT flows through India, so many health info services, IT support systems, frankly, data processing and cloud services flow through India. It is a major issue for anyone touching the digital economy. That's a big deal. China as well is also considering its first personal data protection act. China is the most populous nation on earth, second largest economy on the planet, and that's a big deal. It's also the second largest technology provider after the United States. And so we have to watch these jurisdictions. Let me try and summarize this in a way that I think brings home the the power of this moment. Early last year, Gartner estimated that 10% of the world's population was subject to national privacy legislation. In other words, with Europe, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, those countries that had national privacy legislation added up to 10% of the world's population. Gartner estimates that by 2023, 65% of the world's population will be subject to national privacy legislation. I actually think it's possible that this year, 2021, one half of the world's total population will come under its first national privacy law. That's a big deal. And it's going to have major, major consequences for organizations around the world.
0: That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.